turn to the book of Exodus, Exodus chapter 19, chapter 19. If you're visiting with us and don't have a copy of God's Word, just look in front of you. You should see one there in the rack, second book of the Bible, Exodus chapter 19, 19. And when you get there, I will read our passage for this morning. We'll be looking at the first six chapters of Exodus 19, and I invite you to stand with me for the reading of God's Word. Thus says the Lord, on the third new moon, after the people of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt, on that day they came into the wilderness of Sinai. They set out from Rephidim and came into the wilderness of Sinai. And they encamped in the wilderness. There Israel encamped before the mountain. While Moses went up to God, the Lord called to him out of the mountain saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob and tell the people of Israel, You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now therefore... If you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. This is the reading of God's word. may take your seat. Father, would you open this text for us, illuminate our eyes, let us receive it, give us understanding to live for your glory, amen. At this point in Exodus 19, it has been three months since Israel left Egypt. You see the cue there in verse 1, the third new moon, three months since Israel left Egypt. Israel now has arrived in Sinai, and particularly, look at verse 2, the mountain, the mountain. And here at the mountain, Israel will remain now for almost one full year. There is a parking that goes on now. Israel is going to be here for almost a full year. In fact, our residence for the rest of the book of Exodus will be here at the mountain In fact, from here on, for the next 59 chapters of Holy Scripture, right through to Numbers 10, in year one, this is the first year for the Israelites in the wilderness, they will receive the law, and they will build the tabernacle. It's all right here, by the mountain and on the mountain. A location, of course, that is very familiar to Moses. For Moses, he has come full circle from chapter 3. Remember, back to the mountain where he met Yahweh, the great I Am. In fact, in verse 3 of chapter 19, we see Moses return to that very spot. And there it is. He returns to that spot. There again, through Moses, God has a word for his people. Look at verse 3. It says, while Moses went up to God, the Lord called to him out of the mountain, saying, and that cues us that there is a, a word from God, thus you shall say to the house of Jacob and tell the people of Israel. That cues us that Yahweh has something to say. 
Then the next three verses lay out exactly what God has to say. And beloved, these next three verses are just rich. They're just rich. It is so pregnant with insight for us, these three verses, that that's going to be our focus today. You cannot move quickly through a passage like this. Let's consider each verse one by one, and that'll be our outline today. Closely and carefully, we're going to get out our biblical pickaxe. We're going to mine the gems in these three verses. So precious. First, you'll see in verse 4, and our first point is this, what God alone can do. What God alone can do. That's what we're going to see in verse 4. God says, you yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians. I want you to look at you yourselves. In the original, that's emphatic. It's like a big pointer sticking out you, and not just you, but you yourselves. That's highlighted. In other words, Israel, you had a front row seat to my display in Egypt. You were in bondage. Remember, you, Israel, were oppressed. Remember, as this book opened in chapters 1 and 2, Israel, you yourselves saw firsthand what I did, Yahweh says, to liberate you. Israel, you know this, you yourselves. I brought unrelenting plagues, signs and wonders upon Egypt, and you saw it. Yes, so that Pharaoh and Egypt, with those signs and wonders, would know what? That I am the Lord. But here, God reminds his people so that they too, here, chapters later, that they too would remember who God is. Do you see that? Pharaoh is long in the rearview mirror, reminding them there of who God is. And with front row seats still to Yahweh, the reminder here is, Israel, you know what only God can do. You've seen it. You've seen it. And church, I would submit to you, to us, we need that reminder again today. Listen, I hardly need to suggest how oppressive our modern times are. I hardly need to do that. But I need to, I need to remind us all about our own efforts to liberate ourselves. There's a lot of energy today on self-liberation in such times. There are petitions there are coalitions, there's rallies, there's gatherings, there's efforts, there's initiatives. And listen to me, none of those are bad things. They're good and needed and necessary, important things in their time. Done well, those are very needed. But, beloved, hear me, if we're not careful, those things in and of themselves can become the barometer for other things. Those things that we do with our hands and our efforts, if we're not careful, start to produce a way of thinking in ourselves that freedom will come. Here's the equation. Freedom will come if I do this. If I stand here and I work it this way, that liberation will come if I only do that. Church, that's not the way it works in the economy of Yahweh. That's not the way it works. And that's why this text is so helpful for us today. Church, we are not in control. Have we not learned that in Exodus? We're not in control. I so appreciate what one of you said this week. We just need to resolve our fact that in one sense, on an earthly level, there's nothing we can do. Half of your frustration, let me say this, 51% of your frustration will go away when you remind yourself you're not in control. 
There's nothing you can do for the present times. Listen to me. We are not the determiner of outcomes. We're not in these times. Church, we are dependent creations. He didn't make little creators. He made creations that are dependent on him. Remember, we are limited. We are frail. We are weak and fallen. Church, in reality, we, like Israel, and here's the reminder for God's people, we are powerless. Now, I say that not to rain on parades, of course, but to remind God's people. And we need reminders. I can't tell you how many conversations I've had this week, even yesterday, on how frustrated God's people are. I understand. I understand, believe me, the frustrations. So we're here to be reminded of our great hope in frustration. That freedom, that liberty, that rights, that everything that is good, everything that is righteous, everything that is true is under the sovereignty of God alone. Beloved, does that not lift your spirits? It's all under his sovereignty. He designed it. He appointed. He sustains you through it. And in the end, when the fullness of time has come, we will know that he is Lord. And so will everyone else, as Jim said this morning. That is why today, April 2021, on this very morning, you turn and you trust him. Because he's sovereign over everything, every detail. Every detail, he's sovereign. Church, true liberation has always been and will always be, mark this, highlighter, big pen, the Lord's business. True freedom and liberation has always been and will always be the Lord's business. And it is cause for joy. It's the reason why we sing and it is absolutely the reason why we gather. Listen, and don't just take my words, please don't. Consider the enduring, comprehensive testimony of Scripture. Let me just give you a few nuggets. God appoints rulers. He appoints them. 1 Samuel 9. Leaders like Saul. Appointed by who? God. Romans 13.1 can't make that any clearer for all the people twisting Romans 13.1 today, let's say one thing is very clear. God appoints them all. That doesn't mean they're godly. God determines days. Job 14.5, Psalm 39. God and only God is the one that freed Paul and Silas. You know that account in Acts 16. Was it the way Paul and Silas did something in that jail? No. Who freed them? God did. God and only God is the one that freed Peter from prison, Acts 12. It's all God, only God. God and only God is the one that brought Israel back from exile, Ezra 1. Stirring up, get this, the heart of a pagan king, a pagan leader to bring Israel back. How sovereign is God? And God is the one that rescued Jonah from the belly of a whale, Jonah 2.10. Of course, as we observed early in Exodus and as Israel saw themselves, God and only God delivered them from the clutches of Pharaoh and the sea. I just want you to think about that account for a moment. The spectacular plagues, the unbelievable image of the walls of the water. And I ask you, what human effort could produce that? None. Only God. 
their hope then, your great hope today. It's the same God that parted the sea is the same one overlooking all that's going on today. Does that not give you comfort? He has it as he's ordained it. That is what only God can do. God delivers, but Westmount, see this. I want us to see this in this text. Again, so rich. It's only what God can do, but listen. See how he does it. How he delivers. This is your God. Look at the end of verse 4. God says, Israel, you've also seen how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. What a picture. The picture here is quite familiar, of course, to readers of the Bible. Consider this. It'll be repeated again in Deuteronomy 32. Moses will remind the second generation of this. Deuteronomy 32, verses 11 and 12. Like an eagle that stirs up its nest, that flutters over its young, spreading out its wings, catching them, bearing them on its pinions. The Lord alone guided him. No foreign God was with him. This tender picture of an eagle stirring up its young, plucking them from the nest, delivering them from the nest is very familiar to nature. Nature demonstrates how eagles care for their newly birthed. What's amazing is maybe an onlooker may say, wow, is that how they're treating this little little eagle? Stirring them up, prying them from something where they want to be? No, that's what God does. He's delivering that eagle because there's future flights, future soaring that needs to happen. So the, the mother eagle stirs up the nest, pries them out, and flies under them while that young eagle learns to fly and stretches its wings. That's the tenderness That's the tenderness of the eagle. And it's a picture here because the eagle, of course, is a majestic bird. A massive, note this, feared bird of prey. That's the eagle. Yet, in that majesty, in that might of the eagle, this is how the eagle tenderly cares for its young. What a picture. Hence, it is fitting for Israel here, freed from their Egyptian nest, By the very wings of God. The arms of Yahweh. The only arms, mark it, powerful enough to free, yet tender in freeing. Israel, God would say, as you arrive at God's mountain, remember what God alone can do. In Westmount Church today, as we gather in these days to us, may we remember what God alone can do. That's one. Two, we move on to verse five. What God alone can do would be one. Secondly, in verse 5, we're going to see where we, as God's people, are called to. Where we are called to. Good verse 5 with me. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine. God says, now, therefore, now we stop there. For some of us, if you've been at Westmount for a while, that should just be a trigger. As soon as you hear, therefore, what? You know, okay, wait a minute. Therefore tells us that what is next is connected to what's before, right? These are the helpful little cues as you read God's word. And what is before? The delivery of God. Something that God alone could do. Redemption. That is truth. That is the reality for Israel. And listen, let's be clear on this. That is God first, grace first, 
God's initiating action first. He is the first cause. It's all him, all a result of him. And here, grammatically we see, flowing from that first sovereign work of God and his grace in this, we see flowing from that is a call. Because this is true, now this, a call, a call to those freed, a call to those delivered, and it's a call to heed the deliverer's voice. It's a resulting call to obey the liberator. Now we're going to come back to that, obedience in a moment. We're going to come back to all that is entailed there. But first we need to note the reminder next. God says, obey my voice and look at it, keep my covenant. Church, we need to read this rightly here. This is so helpful for us. First, covenant in our study of Exodus is not unfamiliar to us, right? We've been here many times. We've looked at covenant. In Exodus, we've actually referenced it a bit. Turn to chapter 3 in Exodus by way of reminder. Remember, we talked already about Yahweh coming down and meeting Moses on the mountain. Well, let's remember one of the things that he says. This is the reason why he states to Moses he's coming down. Look at verse 7, chapter 3. Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt. And have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings. And then listen to this in verse 8. And I have come down, why? To deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them out of the land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. In other words, I have come to bring them to the promised land. That, of course, is a very familiar reference to a covenant that we're going to come back to in a moment. Look at verse 17, same chapter. And I promise, note that, I promise that I will bring you up out of the affliction of Egypt to the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, Hivites, Jebusites, a land flowing with milk and honey. That's your cue. Again, there's a promise in view here. Turn to chapter 6. Turn to chapter 6, verse 6. Say, therefore, this is God again. Do you see how he keeps saying it over and over? Say, therefore, to the people of Israel, I am the Lord, and I will, here it is, bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will deliver you from slavery to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. I will take you to be my people, and I will be your God, and you shall know that I am the Lord your God who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will bring you into the land that I swore to give to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob. I will give it to you for a possession. I am the Lord. We walked through this already, but we just need to remind ourselves all of that almost word for word from Genesis 15. This is precisely what God told Abraham that he would do. Through you, I'm establishing a people, and this is what I'm going to do for you, my people. We know this. Again, this is by way of review. So that covenant that has been in view from Genesis in view early in Exodus remains in view here. This is, again, just a logical reading of the text. It remains in view. And when we think about the covenant that's in view, the Mosaic covenant may come to mind as well. Some of you may come to say, well, what about that Mosaic covenant, that law? By the way, That is a specific law, and it hasn't been introduced yet. We're going to get there in the next chapter, in chapter 20. 
Yet, I want you to know, even when we get there, we'll see that the Mosaic law is not so disconnected. There's some continuity there as well, but we're going to leave that for chapter 20. For now, we don't want to get too ahead of ourselves. We just want to make sure we understand the covenant that's in view. And it's not only because we know it's the Abrahamic covenant, not only because of the context of Exodus, but listen, also the context of this very verse. I want us to see this. God says what with respect to this covenant? Look at the second half of verse 5. This is interesting. He says this, You shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for why all the earth is mine. Say what we will about the Mosaic Law, and we'll have a lot to say about it in the weeks ahead. But the Mosaic Law is very specific. What we see here is pointing well beyond the specific real estate of God's own. What we are seeing here with the covenant that's referenced here, here it is, is a covenant with global implications. Do you see that? This is a covenant with global implications, not just with God's people in view. What all peoples, verse 5, and all the earth tells us here is that God is again doing what he's done over and over again in Exodus, reminding. He's reminding not only of the covenant with his people, but the implications of this covenant and the global mission and purpose of this covenant. So important. Yes, God says, you will be my treasured possession. And the implications of that we're going to see from 20 on for sure. And it can't be missed. And by the way, I want you to see the richness of this word there. Look at treasured possession. Look at it. That word refers to the specific treasures of a king. So good. His prized, it was the king's most cherished. His most cherished. He had a special room, a special realm Right? In his estate for these. And that's really good. But note the domain of the treasured possession. Among all peoples. You see that? So the focus is not just on the treasure here in verse 5. But the treasure that is a treasure amongst all else. Do you see that? In fact, the treasured people among all peoples. The treasured people among all peoples. So you might ask, well, why does that matter? Why is it important to see the domain? Why do we need to see the full scope of an implication for the covenant? Well, that's an important question. So we need to approach this gradually. A couple things. Number one, a global scope equals global implications. That's stating the obvious, but let's look at it. This means there's not an aspect of the earth. Note that. There is not an aspect of the earth not affected by this covenant. There is not an aspect of the earth not affected by this covenant. This is the earth, the playing field for God's covenant with his people. This globe. That's what this is telling us. This tells us that God didn't save Israel then in isolation. He didn't redeem them in a vacuum. He didn't just put something around them and say they're mine and I'm going to pull you away. No, God did not save his chosen people, as we'll see, to hide them away on a shelf. Do you see that? Whatever God's purpose for Israel is, which we're getting to, we know this. The purpose for the redemption of Israel is to affect the domain of the whole earth. This is so key, Westmount. The purpose of the redemption of Israel is to affect the entire earth. That's one. Number two, the whole earth then has a creator, does it not? 
and a ruler. And this is affirmed at the end of verse 5. God says, for, by the way, you see that other linking word, for, tells you there's connection. For all the earth is mine. This is what Jim was referring to this morning. Every knee will bow to the one king. It's always an issue of when. And as always, when we think about why they'll bow to the one king, it's because the authority of the one king, because he is the creator of all things. And as always, there's nothing new here on the sovereignty of God and his authority on earth. Psalm 24.1 declares, The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. It's the same truth repeated, by the way, in the New Testament. 1 Corinthians 10.26 All the earth is the Lord's, his realm, and hence his rule. He created, he orders. So God has selected a chosen people for his possession, his treasured possession, out of all the peoples of the world to be in a world that he created and he rules over. Do you see that? This is what's going on here. Now let's put this all together. Why would he do that? Why would God do that? Well, the Bible tells us that, yes, God is creator. Genesis 1 and 2, he made the heavens and the earth. He made man and woman. He, he made it all, and it's his. Genesis 3 tells us that those he created rebelled against the one that created him. So Genesis 3 says. He made new creations. He made a paradise for them. He gave them a mandate, and they didn't like it. And they rebelled. Our ancestors chose their own way. The Bible tells us that the effects of that choice from our great ancestors, Adam and Eve, had rippling effects through all humanity. In fact, that choice stained your spiritual DNA. It caused sin to be woven into the nature of every human being since, and that would be all of us, everyone in this room, everyone in humanity. In the New Testament, Romans 5 teaches us this. This is the reality that as we come out of the birth canal, at the moment of conception, we are in sin. We're sinners by nature. Of course, from those steps from the womb, we realize we're actually sinners also by choice. We're sinners by nature, sinners by choice. We have a lot against us. But what is amazing what is amazing is that the Creator didn't crumple us up and throw us away and say, you know what, that didn't work. On to the next universe. Isn't it amazing? He didn't do that. You and I do that with far, far, far less patience. We don't even give things a chance to find their feet before we're done with it. God established the feet, made the feet, let the feet go, let the feet rebel, and He's hung in there. And had a plan. No, instead of a restart, he chose renovation. He chose instead redemption. He chose out of an entire humanity that deserved the same punishment, which is, let me be crystal clear. What every human being deserves is eternal separation from the one that created them. And yes, that's called hell. That's what we all deserve. Hell. Eternal flames. Yes, because we have all fallen short of the standard that God has given to his created. James 2.10 can't be clear about that. Even in one departure from his law, we're condemned in all of it. Yet even with that, 
He chose some out of that level. You want to talk about a leveled playing field? It's not goodness. I'll tell you what the leveled playing field is. It's depravity and people bound for hell. That's the leveled playing field. That's how we're all equal. That's how we're all in it together. We're all bound for hell. And yet in that, he chose to redeem some. Isn't that amazing? He said, I will reach into this pool of hell-bound men and women and I will pluck some and have them live with me eternally. They won't have eternal flames. They'll have eternally me. That's what he did. That's what he's offering. And he calls those ones out. And just a mere nine chapters after the fall, we see this a promise to those rebels to those enemies of his will. He gives a promise to them. Genesis 12, 2, he starts with Abraham and he says this, I will make of you the first rebel turned worshiper in this covenant and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. That's the heart. That's the promise. But here's the thing. That promise has something with it and we can miss this when we read the Abrahamic covenant. Listen to verse 3. In you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Did you see that? In you all the families of what domain? Of the earth shall be blessed. Note the realm repeated over and over. Genesis 18, Genesis 22, Genesis 26 with Isaac. Repeated again in Genesis 28 to Jacob over and over again. That promise in the domain of the earth. Beloved, do you see it? Do you see it? This is it. Through the people God chose, he would call others. Do you see that? That's it. Through the people he chose, he's going to use to call others. Unbelievable mercy and grace. That's our God. And we see this throughout the Old Testament. Through the people he's redeemed, he's going to call others. God redeeming people through the people. Listen to this. Through Israel and God being with these chosen people, God redeems prostitutes. Tamar, Rahab. Through Israel's testimony, God redeems enemy military leaders. See Naaman. See Naaman. Through Israel, the redeemed include Moabites like Ruth and Hittites like Uriah. Those that are not God's people that became God's people. And consider this, Isaiah 27 Verse 6, in, and note this, it's not in that day, in days to come, that's your progression, Isaiah 27, 6, Jacob shall take root, Israel shall blossom and put forth shoots, and listen to this, and fill the whole world with fruit. Amazing picture. Calling people through a redeemed people. And in the end, in the last day, Revelation 14, we see the same thing. Peoples from all over, All tribes and tongues called out, delivered, and saved in the final tribulation through what? The witness of the sealed Israel. Through the witness. Yet church, here it is for us. That was Israel back then, and that will be Israel in the future. We get that. But we, church, are in the middle of that program today. We too, a different people, but still God's people, called out ones. That's who we are, church. And let's not miss the implication for us in this age as his people. Jesus, remember, had much to say when he came at his first coming. Jesus said this as he defined, and note this, 
he defined what it meant to follow him. There's so many definitions out there today, right? About what it means to follow Jesus. I want us to just settle for one second and listen to exactly what Jesus said, crystal clear about what it means to follow Jesus. Chapter 5, verse 14. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but put it on a stand and it gives light to all in the house. Do you see the picture? Do you hear it? The lamp is not hidden. It gives light to all in the house. Just like you would never turn on a flashlight and then put it in a sock drawer. You would never do that. So too would God never turn on and regenerate his people and then closet them. Called out ones, he did not save us to hide us away. Brothers and sisters, he did not save us to shelter us and sanitize us. That's not why he saved us. We have been saved already from the greatest risk that there will ever be. And so we march on, fulfilling his commission with boldness and security. Beloved, we were saved to be sent, to go, to be a light for all in his domain. And where is his domain? The earth. Go. The earth, the purpose is the capstone. Listen to this, same passage in Matthew 5 that Jesus gives in verse 16. Listen. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Church, the earth, church, the world, that is where we are called to, not home. Beloved, we cannot possibly do that from our Savior. We can't do that if we do just like everyone else. We can't do this. If we just look and walk and talk and behave like everyone else. But listen, just because we don't like to be conformist is not a reason to do it. Right? We're not anti-establishment. We don't know. We do it because the one that made us said to do that. Because he has a program for those that are bound for hell right now. I have many that are mine. And through you I will call them. That's the way we need to feel. Before others. Before others. You cannot do before others in isolation. Church the earth. Church the world. That is where we are called to. And we do this, by the way, as a concern for all peoples. That's clear in the Old Testament and New. I've said this before. I'll just quickly reference it again. Even more, 13 months later, we do what we do because of all peoples. Because people are in danger. Because people need care. Because people need love. That's why you're here. That's why we do what we do. That's why we honor God. That's why we do what he calls us to do because people are in trouble. And here it is. They don't know that they're in trouble. They're trying to shelter from the wrong thing. And right now, over a year into this present time, the true risk to the church is this. Let us all hear this. The risk of missing our mandate our mission, our commission, all together. 
You will hear this. We need to protect our witness. You will hear this. People are watching us. That is absolutely right. They are. They're watching everything you do. They're watching us, maybe right now. Just as they've always been. Listen to me from Sinai to Peterborough. They're always watching God's redeemed. And why? God knows that. Because he recognizes he's going to do something through the watching. Through the seeking and the watching comes the faith hearing. And what a true tragedy when light is needed the most to then just go and shut it off. What a true crisis to shut doors when they desperately need to be open. That's the true danger today. Church, called out ones, never forget where you have been called to. Never forget it. It's a reality that begs one last question, which is answered in our last verse today. What God alone can do, what God's people are called to, and here in verse 6 we'll see who God's people are called to be. Look at verse 6 with me. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. Those are the words for Israel, to be a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. A priest, as we will see in more specific form in the later chapters of Exodus, is an intermediary. Intermediary. That means one who does something on behalf of another. You see that? In fact, most religions of the world contain in concept something like this, an idea of a priest, one in between. Now again, we're going to see this in later chapters, a specific group of intermediaries within Israel called to do that on behalf of Israel. We're going to see that. But that's not what's in view here. That's not the specific priests in view. Those are individual Levites, and again, we'll come back to them later. Here in this text, in context, God is talking to, do you see it? A kingdom of priests. An entire nation. All 12 tribes. A kingdom of priests. And they're called to what? All of them. To be priests. And how is that so, you would say? Well, let's simply remember what's going on in these verses. We don't abandon the context. God is speaking collectively to Israel in relationship to who? The whole earth. Israel, the whole earth. God is speaking to his people in relation to all the other people of the earth. Do you see that? And of course, God's chosen people, as we've seen, are called out and are chosen Israel is called out of all people as a beacon, as a light, and here it is, as one in between. The God of heaven and the people of earth. Israel, the priest of all peoples. This is how Israel is a kingdom of priests. Do you see this? An intermediary for the program of God to the whole earth. A nation of people for all peoples so that all peoples would know Yahweh. And how they do that is clarified in the next description. Look at it. A holy nation. A holy nation. Here, friends, is the epicenter of it all. Israel is called to be a holy nation. Now, the aspects of holiness are not our focus today. Again, from chapter 20 on, they will get much of our attention because that's where the text goes. We only need reminding here of what it means to be holy. 
What does it mean to be holy? And we've gone through this so much over the past few years at Westmount. So just by way of reminder, it means to be set apart, but that's not all right. Not just set apart, but what else? Fully devoted to God. That's what it means to be holy. Israel is set apart. They're chosen from all other peoples. They're distinct, but not it. That's not it. They're also set apart onto God. Look at it in verse 5. Fully devoted to Him. Israel will be my treasured possession, God says. This too, by the way, is by way of reminder. Back in chapter 4, verse 22, God says this to Moses. Say to Pharaoh, thus says the Lord, Israel is my firstborn son. And I say to you, let my son go. And then note that. Why are they to go? So they can be free to do what they'd like and what's right in their own sight. No. Let my people go. Why? That they may serve me. Remember, deliverance for the purpose of devotion. Deliverance for the purpose of worship. That's how God is. And that's always been the plan. And that devotion to God is the key of distinction. Beloved, what made Israel distinct was their devotion to God. Think about the law, Deuteronomy 6. What kind of devotion to deity is that? The whole person devoted to God. But then listen to this also in the law, Leviticus 20, verse 26. I have separated you, Israel, from the peoples, listen to this, that you should be mine. Separation for the purpose of devotion. This is not only what God desired Israel to be, but here it is. Listen, again, let's put it, we're putting it all together this morning. It's the mechanism, devotion to God, that is going to be the megaphone to the nations. A people so sold out, so devoted, so living for the Lord is the megaphone to the nations. Church holiness that is only set apart from all others, so it's just set apartness, is a cult. Right? If you're just set apart, many people can be set apart. But it's just a cult. And cults are not attractive. Cults actually repel. Even the most set apart ones actually repel. Because they're so just about being set apart. Listen, God's call to holiness is radically different. It is not just set apart. It is utter devotion to God. There it is. A call to devotion. That's what's going on here. To be a holy nation. That is the light that draws. And here's your picture in these oppressive times. That is the beacon, not only a set-apart people, because that's just another flavor of the month, but a set-apart people completely and utterly devoted to Yahweh. Well, wait a minute. That's compelling. That's compelling. And that's what's going on here. Again, I want you to listen to Matthew 5.16. Again, I pray this is just a capstone. Jesus says again, in the same way, let your light shine before others. You see that? so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. You see how that works? We are the prism through which God shines. We can't be hidden away to fulfill this. We can't be. 
Israel here is called to be a holy nation because a holy nation would draw other nations. And isn't that precisely what God ordained in the Abrahamic covenant? Through you, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. And that's a covenant that's still outworking today with a people God is still using. Church, we are not Israel. But our call as God's people echoes this ancient call. We have been granted the blessings of the covenant as Gentiles. We experience covenant inclusion. Amazing. Like the Gentiles of old. Rahab, Ruth, Naaman, and others. We too graft into these blessings. And hence, the ancient call to Israel is our call too. I want you to hear again, Bill read with us earlier, 1 Peter 2. But now we're in the New Testament. And a call to Israel certainly still here in 1 Peter, but the application is for us as New Covenant Christians. Listen again to 1 Peter 2, verse 9. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. And here it is, that, so that, that is purpose, reason, so that you're a holy nation that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Amazing. We too, church, are called to be a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. Church, this call to Israel is now ours too. That is who we are called to be as God's people. We too church a people for his own possession. And again, why? Verse 9, that you, that we, may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Church, that's the purpose of God's people. The called out ones. That's the purpose of a holy nation. A holy nation that proclaims light. A holy nation that is light shining for all to see. That's a holy nation. Church, again, let's land with this. That is who we are called to be as God's people. Westman, in the providence of God, let us not miss the point in this text for us today. I always marvel at the providence of how these texts align to what's going on today. And it behooves us to see it and not miss it. God is speaking to us, me and to you, through this text today. Like Israel, to Egypt, to Canaan, to the world of that time, so to us, church, to Peterborough, to Ontario, to our nation. This is God's plan. That his people would be the beacon for the nations. That's the plan of God. And a beacon stands out, right? That's why it's called a beacon. Is that not right? That's why it's a beacon. It stands out. It looks different. A beacon is designed to draw. Is that not true? That's the purpose of it. It's the purpose of it. And church, that is the question. Are we a beacon? Are we a call to the nations? Or are we in the valley like everyone else? What are we? What are we? Lights are meant to be out, up, on tables, on poles, on hills, and on mountains. Giving light to all. So church, again, I ask you, I ask us, are we? 
Are we giving light to all? Are we doing that? God did not redeem us so that we could look and act like everyone else. I pray that's clear this morning. He didn't save us to keep us home. No, church, we shine. Church, we shine bright so that through us, those lost, those blind, those bound for eternal darkness would see the light, the light of the world, Jesus Christ, John 8, 12. Church, we open doors so that God would open eyes. We open arms so that God would open hearts. Church, we open, we call, we shine, and we be ready. We be ready where we are called, and we be the people we're called to be, and then we lift our hearts in praise when God revives a soul. Yes, even one, as we're seeing him do right now, he is saving people through this. When God does what only God can do, as he's done with us, we the called out ones, the redeemed, we are the secure. May he do with others the many that are his that yet we don't know. We don't know how many more he's going to draw during this pandemic, but I'll tell you something right now. He is drawing lost souls to him. Through the beacon, through lights on the hill across this nation, what a privilege and joy it is to stand with other beacons today drawing lost people to the Savior. Church, may he do that through us here in Peterborough at Westmount, a holy nation shining his light. Father, what indeed a privilege it is to be called your people, to be called a holy nation, and to have purpose, to have your purpose, Lord, to save others, to bring the message so that you would open their hearts, you would open their eyes. Lord, what a privilege it is. May we never neglect that mandate, that duty. Oh, Lord, enable us. We cannot do this on our own. We have no strength to do so. Help us to shine bright with the grace that you give us. Father, that is our call and prayer to you today. In Christ's name, amen. Let's stand together. Mm -hmm.